The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. And we looked at the fact that Joseph called his brothers to come to him. And the brothers experienced mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And then Joseph gave them a command to go and call their father and their families to come. And so where we pick it up this morning is the brothers have now arrived back uh, at the the home of, of Jacob. They've brought back all the gifts that Pharaoh supplied to help them in their journey back. And they are now sharing with Jacob what's happened. And let me pick it up in chapter 45, beginning in verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. And he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Let me just try to get your minds in perspective of what's happening here. Jacob, 22 years earlier, was presented with a coat of many colors, torn to shreds, and drenched in blood. And Jacob cried out, if you recall, surely he has been torn to pieces. And he wept and mourned. For 22 years, Joseph did not exist for Jacob. And now they come back and they say, Joseph is alive. And by the way, he's head of the greatest nation in the world. What would you believe? He's dead. What do you mean he's alive? Oh, and he's head of the greatest nation in the world? I've got some swampland in Canaan. You guys have been in the desert too long. Can you imagine the utter shock? It says his heart became numb. Wouldn't yours? I mean, you're to be confronted by a reality that the son, the greatest, the beautiful, loving son of your former wife, Rachel, is still alive. And then you hear he's head of the greatest nation on the world. I I, I can't get my hands around this. I can't get my head around this. (laughs) You know, we, uh, we find ourselves in a very difficult situation and Life, life is all messed up. Things are upside down. And then you throw a verse at me that God will supply all my needs? You expect me to believe that? I mean, maybe when you came to Christ, you had a hard time getting your head around the fact that there was a God in the first place. You may have been raised in a Christian home. You may have heard the Bible, and, and so you knew there was a God. But you, you get this idea that there was this God. You begin to get your, your head around it. Okay, he created everything out of nothing. By him, all things consist. He's the Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end. And then you're telling me that he took on a form of a man and died for me? 
come on. And then you tell me he's coming back for me? On a white horse? Sure. Want to come? You see, there are so many things in life that we struggle to get our head around because, oh my goodness, it's just out there. And here's Jacob. But the evidence is overwhelming. Verse 27, But when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And he said, Israel, Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and I will see him before I die. What an amazing truth. But I think it's significant that his heart became numb. And he didn't believe. You see, the result of a numb heart is always disbelief. And the problem we find ourselves in, just like Jacob was, is our hearts are numb with this truth that we can't grasp. And therefore, we don't believe. And so often when we're trying to get through life and we, we see what's happened, we know how life goes. We're not infants anymore. We've seen failure. We've seen difficulty. We've seen people do us injustice. We've seen ourselves trying to survive in a world that is all upside down. And now I'm supposed to accept that by trusting God, he's going to work through that situation. When Joseph sees, or when Jacob sees everything they brought back from Pharaoh, he does believe. I mean, here they are. They're Egyptian carts with Egyptian trappings. Here's all the gifts, the supplies. <clears throat> He's got to believe it. But with that belief comes fear. Because Jacob is now being asked to leave his land and journey to Egypt. And there is where he's full of fears. So what he does, they get everybody together and they begin their journey, but they stop at Beersheba and he's going to offer sacrifices. And one last time, he's going to seek the mind of God before they actually make their trek. And there, God speaks to him. Chapter 46, beginning of verse 1. So Israel took the journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. There's not a large number of places in scripture where God calls out his servants by name, but there are a few. I think of God's call to Samuel when he was just a boy. The Lord said, Samuel, Samuel, in 1 Samuel 3, 
And when the boy finally understood at last that it was God and not Eli calling him, he responded, speak for your servant is listening. You know, a little side point here. Every time you open your Bible to study, to read, every time you're preparing to teach a Sunday school class or a Bible study, or opening your Bible to hear a message or prepare some sort of thing, we ought to always say, Lord, speak because your servant is listening. You see, God doesn't call to us out of heaven like he did back then. He has given us a volume of 66 books. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. So when you and I sit down and open the word of God, we have his word and his spirit to interpret it. And we ought always to be ready to hear what he's saying. The second example is Paul called Saul before uh, he was converted. God stopped him when he was on the road to Damascus to murder Christians. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then there's the call to Abraham as he's getting ready to sacrifice his son. And as the knife is drawn back, he calls, Abraham, Abraham. In our text this morning, it's very similar with Jacob. Jacob had started down to Egypt to see Joseph, but he's scared. And so he goes to Beersheba. And while he's offering sacrifices and praying, he hears, Jacob, Jacob. Here I am, he replied, and the Lord continued. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. You see, God never calls you to go anywhere or do anything without being right there with you. He never calls us to do anything without being right there with us. This revelation was all Jacob needed. The next verses, we see him on his way confidently, and we never hear about his fear again. In each of these instances that I mentioned, where there was a major crisis in a believer's life, there was also a word from God. Samuel became a distinguished leader in Israel and a transition figure between the judges and the kings. Paul became a great missionary. Abraham grew to be a giant in the faith. So let's see what happens to Jacob. The first thing we need to deal with, however, though, is the fearful. The clue to understanding Jacob's experience is to recognize that he was afraid, and justifiably so. He was fearful for many things. Jacob had come to Beersheba, the place marked out by the southernmost boundary of the land God had given to his grandfather and to Abraham and to his descendants. There was an altar there where they worshipped, and all the patriarchs went there and worshipped. While Jacob remembered Beersheba... He was literally on what we might call his own turf. This was still part of his land. But on the other side of Beersheba was the desert. And on the other side of the desert was Egypt. There were many fears about what he was heading to. 
And I think there are four possible fears that we need to recognize that Jacob was dealing with. First of all, Jacob was an old man. Apart from any other consideration, a change of this magnitude at his stage in his life was very fearful. Uh, in Genesis 40, 47 and verse 9, it tells us he was 130 years old at this time. Now, you know, you may be here and you're in your later years. And perhaps you're thinking it's just a coast from here to the end. But if you're truly surrendered to Jesus Christ, the adventure might just be starting. Caleb was 80 when he took the hill country and defeated the Anakims, which were the family of uh, Goliath, the giants in the land. Moses was 80 when he and Aaron went to Egypt and demanded a Pharaoh to let his people go. There is no age limit when God calls. Your pastor was 60. Think of that, old. There is no old age when you live for Christ. And today might just be the beginning of something special that God is doing in your life. Number two, Egypt was a very pagan country. Jacob may not have known much about Egypt, but he would have certainly known two significant features about it. First, it was noted for its age, its prosperity, its technology. During the long centuries of its history, it had developed superb understanding of mathematics, architecture, astronomy, um, agriculture, medicine. But there was one thing about them too, and that is they were an extremely pagan society. Egypt was a classic example of Paul's description of this in Romans 1, verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Even Jacob did not know the details of this debased society. But he could have been fearful for his family. Would they be influenced? Would they fall into this kind of temptation? And what about Joseph? He's been there for 22 years. If he's a leader, has he become part of their thinking? Has he forgotten the God who gave him dreams? He had much to be afraid of. Third, Egypt had bad past memories for Jacob. He would have remembered what happened to their fathers and their grandfathers. Jacob would have remembered what happened to Abraham when he went in there and lied about his wife Sarah, saying that she was his sister for fear they would kill him to take her. In fact, even Pharaoh did take her into his palace, but God protected her. And then fourth, Jacob had been warned of future evils. Back in the early history of his people, God had appeared to Abraham and he had said in Genesis 15, 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. I could imagine Jacob thinking, is this the beginning of that? Do I really want to go to Egypt? You know, this is not unlike many things that you and I deal with that make us fearful. 
especially as we grow older. It's true, we don't have any specific prophecies about us personally, about difficulties to come. But we certainly know enough about life to say, as Job said, man is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upwards, Job 5.7. Such knowledge causes us to tremble and be fearful. And when God leads us, it's easy to be afraid. We spend our lives getting a comfort zone, getting a, a life that we feel pretty much in control of. And when God calls us to step out of that, there's great fear. We're used to things not working out all the time. And we're fearful that this just might be another one of those things. So we see that there is a time to pray. Jacob had trembled before. He had trembled for fear of Esau when he had cheated him out of the birthright and had been forced to run away. He had trembled again on the banks of the Jabbok when he was ready to meet Esau again after 20 years. Jacob is now trembling again. But he had learned something from those earlier occasions, and it had stood him in good stead to this point. On each of those former occasions, God had appeared to him. So now, Instead of waiting on God to do something extraordinary, he is proactive. He goes to Beersheba, he makes sacrifices, he calls out to God to find out God's leading. And the story tells us that he offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father, Isaac, verse 1. Now, we must suppose that he worshipped by acknowledging God's past blessings and everything that God had done for him in the past. Jacob would have prayed and offered sacrifice for at least three things. First, to purge his household of sin. God, is there any unconfessed sin that I am holding on to? He wanted to purge everything so there was nothing between him and his God. Second, to give thanks. He was going to Egypt to see Joseph, his long and thought lost son. What a thing to thank God for, to worship Him in praise for giving Him a truth that for 22 years He thought was gone. And then third, and perhaps most important, Jacob worshiped to seek the mind of God in his moving forward. These are three things that all of us should do when we're trying to find the mind of God. You see, at Bethel years before, when Jacob was setting out from Haran for fear of Esau, God said to him that he would be with him wherever he went. God said in Genesis 28, 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When you belong to God, he never, ever leaves you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I think we forget that so often. We know the Bible is clear that you don't lose your salvation, but sometimes we feel like God has just parked us over here. And we just don't see anything happening. 
We don't see him actively working in the day-to-day things of our life. But he is working. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee to give each one of us safe passage to glory. And the God of all creation, the God of the universe, is actively working in and through each one of us. But God had also been firm in telling the patriarchs that they were to live in Canaan and seek spiritual blessings there. So how could Jacob be sure what was the right move? So he seeks the Lord out in the matter. This is where many Christians get into trouble. They're confronted with a change. It might be a change that they desperately want. It might be a change they don't want. They suspect God may be leading, but they never pause to ask Him whether He is or not. And as a result, they go off in directions that bring years of frustration. Early in his life, Jacob had himself wasted more than 20 years because he thought that he could help God by cheating his father. But he had learned. Now he worshiped the Lord and sought his guidance before taking one step forward. And how much do you and I need to constantly seek God's direction before we move? So, naturally, in dealing with Jacob, we need to realize that we're not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. When we are fearful or in great perplexity, we often wonder if God will hear us when we pray to Him. God is always more eager to answer than we are to ask, more eager to guide than we are to follow. And this was the case here. Jacob worshipped, and it was immediately after this that God would bless him even to distant Egypt. So God's word here falls into several parts that I want us to see that I think is very important. First, God called him by name. Jacob. Jacob. Thereby showing that he knew him and was still his own personal God. Every bit as much as he was of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. The important thing for you and I is whether God is your God. Do you know Him personally? Is He your God? Has He called you personally? He doesn't shout from heaven. He declares it in His Word, and the Holy Spirit draws us in our heart. Has he drawn you to himself? Second, God reaffirms his covenant with Jacob by saying, I am God, the God of your father. Verse 3. This was not an idle statement. If God who was speaking to Jacob was the God of Abraham, then he was also the God of Isaac, whom he had led with utter faithfulness. Now, Jacob was assured that this God was with him to the end. Do you realize how freeing it is 
when you know you're stepping forward knowing certain that God is with you? Do you realize the utter power, the confidence to know that as you're walking with God, there is no failure when he is in it? And this is what Jacob was seeking. This is what calmed his fears. And third, God had a purpose for Jacob. Now, this is critical. Verse 3. Then he said, I am God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. God gave a call. And he gave purpose to the call. God has a special promise for you. Young people, God has a special promise for your life. Things may be so messed up and turned upside down and you're trying to make heads and tails. When you know God, know for certain he has a purpose for your life. Trust him to unveil it in his time, but remain faithful to him now. Old people, God has a special purpose for your life. And it doesn't matter if you're 60, 70, 80, 90. Today, God will use you if you'll surrender. And everybody in between, God has a clear purpose for your life. And today, just maybe today, it will begin. Are you in the word consistently for the Holy Spirit to reveal it? As is often the case, we have a small view of what God is doing. Oh, we know he has a plan for the ages, but seldom do we consider all that planning comes down to me personally. He has a plan for your life. Do you know it? Are you confident in it? Are you consistently seeking it? You may be in that stage of life right now where you're just trying to find out what God is doing. I mean, you read the scriptures, you know he's active in all our lives, but right now I just seem to kind of be in a place where I'm not grabbing it yet. But when you trust Christ and give him your life, you can be sure it's coming. The clear direction is coming. And this is a powerful thing that he makes plain here. God's final word for Jacob was the most important of all. And it's the same promise he gives to you and I. He promised to go with him to Egypt. Look at verse 4. I myself, not Gabriel, I myself, not any of the angels, I myself, not prophets, priests, or kings, or pastors, or preachers. I, myself, will go down with you to Egypt. Can you recognize the reality that the Almighty God, who called you to himself, who sent his son to die for you on Calvary, who loved you before the foundation of the earth and guided all the events to bring you to the place where you would become his child, do you realize he's with you now? 
I mean, do you really realize it? And do you realize that when he calls you, he's going with you? I mean, the amazing thing about God is he knows, as I said, we're messy. We're human. We're weak in our flesh. The greatest of us is weak in our flesh. And so he gives us the word of God, but then he gives us that Holy Spirit to indwell us. And the more we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, the more we have the power of God and the confidence that we're going every step of the way. And this is what Jacob is finding out as he makes this monumental change, this shift in his life at 130 years old to trek the desert to a foreign land. Was Egypt still a frightening place to have before him? Oh, you bet it was. Was there not a genuine danger of decay and eventual physical enslavement? Enslavement? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. God didn't say, Jacob, follow me and life will be smooth. The dangers were still there. But what a difference when the sovereign God of the universe goes before you and guides you in his perfect will. You see, once the priorities of your life get off me and are on him, then it doesn't matter where I go in life as long as he gets the glory. Because I don't live unto myself, I live unto him. Was this not the great message of the Apostle Paul who was shipwrecked, beaten by snakes, whipped to an inch of his life, thrown in prison, and yet he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Whatever you want, God, if you're glory, that's me, take me. It's so difficult for us to just let go, isn't it? To just say, God, I'm tired balancing all this stuff. I'm trying or tired to trying to get what I think I should have and doing it myself. I'm giving it to you. I'm done. And apparently, Jacob believed this and understood this. For he responded positively in chapter 46, beginning in verse 5. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock, their goods, which they had gained in the, in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons, his sons' sons, his sons with him, his daughters, his, his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. You see, he took the promise of God and he moved forward. And never again do you hear the word fear mentioned about Jacob. So, we need to be strong to the end. You may be facing challenges. You may be looking at a big decision or simply trying to get from one day to the next. You may be fearful. If so, 
Do not take another step until God directs you. Ask him to show you the direction you should go. If, if God is silent, remain where you are. But if he speaks, go boldly and fear nothing. But stay strong to the end in the power of Christ. If he is increasing and you're decreasing, there's only one result. It's his result. And when you have his result, you'll never lose. The question is, do I believe that? Do I really believe that? And if I do, how do I get it from here to here? And how do I get it from here to here? Only by surrendering to Christ can you find that perfect peace. The men come to prepare for a communion. We can only be reminded of that plan as he came to the glory. As Jesus came and took on the form of the man. Why? Because before the foundation of the world, he chose to love you. And because he is perfect and holy and cannot go against what he decrees. And because... We're sinners and have no way to be in his presence. In order for him to be true to himself, he had to make a way to rescue us. And that day, 2,000 years ago, when he went to that cross and died and bled, water mingled with blood, it paid for our sins. But when he rose on that third day and defeated the grave, eternity was open for all of us. As you prepare your hearts for the reality of this, ask yourself this morning, am I surrendered? Does God really own Father, we commend ourselves into your spirit this morning. At times, we're overwhelmed with life. We're only human. We're sinners. There may be some here today who don't know you as their Savior, and they really can't partake in this cup in this bread because it's not for them. I pray that you would open their hearts. I pray that you would draw them to yourself to know that your death was to pay for their sins. And Lord, I, I pray for other Christians who have just been struggling, perhaps just gotten away from being in the Word and, and life has gotten the best of them. Lord, I, I pray the power of your spirit would just draw them back to you now. Overwhelm them. <clears throat> Let your spirit have its way in each one of them. And may they find grace and mercy to help in these times of need. 
Now, as we take a few moments just to meditate and get our hearts right, Lord, please speak to each one of us, I pray. Father, we ask now that you would bless this bread, this symbol of your body that was broken for us. May we ever be reminded of the tremendous price you paid for each one of us. Continue to bless us now as we continue in Christ's name.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. As is our custom, we'll stand, we'll join hands, and we'll sing a verse of this hymn. 
Father, we thank you that we're no longer blind, that we see clearly the reality of your death, burial, and resurrection. And Lord, I pray now as we go, may we be reminded continually of of Jacob and his ability to get beyond his fears to follow you. May we go today looking for that beginning that you're going to do in the hearts of each one of us. And as we all say, all God's people say, amen. God bless.